just as I turn the microphone on. Turn, if you would, to the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. Hmm? A better teacher. <laughs> if you remember, uh, 11 weeks ago, we got a call on Saturday morning, and Amy said they'd gone to the hospital, and uh, I turned to Teresa and I said, do you want to go? And she said, yes. And in 30 minutes, we were on the road to Colorado. And so I missed Sunday, but I figured that was a good excuse. We are nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We have about three more lessons, I think, on the sermon. But what we have remaining are some... uh, Discussions about what to do with everything that we've been taught in the Sermon on the Mount. We began with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, etc., etc. And it ends with blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we read this and we go, oh, that sounds so good. Blessed are, happy are those who have these characteristics. But how in the world do we do that? How do we do that? And then we moved on to being the light of the world, the salt of the earth, how we influence those around us. We are to illuminate the world so that they can see Christ. And we go, how do we do that? How can we get to the point where we can be good salt and good light? And then we went on to, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And you can just imagine the person listening to this sermon thinking, the scribes and Pharisees are the holiest people we've got, and we've got to beat that? And then we moved on to examples of how the Pharisees had interpreted the law solely as an external activity. If I can look good on the outside, I must be good on the inside. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't kill anybody. And by the way, you shouldn't kill anybody. But I say to you, if you're angry at someone, you've already committed murder. Oh, shoot. I've never murdered anybody that I know of, but I can confess that I've been angry at a few recently. I don't want to be angry. I wake up in the morning and I say, I don't want to be angry. And I get to work and some coworker does something stupid and I go, but I'm good. I hide it. They don't see it, but I know it's there. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Oh, shoot. How do we do this? And on through the rest of chapter 5, we have these examples of, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And it ends with, be perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. And then we get into chapter 6. And there we learn about doing our acts of righteousness before men to be seen by men, doing our good deeds in such a way that Other people will see us and get us a pat on the back and say, oh, you're doing a great job. You're so wonderful. And he says, you've received your reward. Instead, do your acts of righteousness in secret. And God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And we're given a group of examples. We're told about giving. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We talked about prayer. Don't stand on the street corner so that everybody can see you pray. Go into your closet and your heavenly Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We talked about fasting. The Pharisees would fast a couple of times a week. But you know, what's the fun of fasting if nobody knows you're doing it? So they would make their faces look like they were really worn out. Man, this life is tough, but I'm doing it for God. How many of us have done that? We're sacrificing, I'll put that in quotes, we're sacrificing something for God and we want everybody to know about it. Man, you can't believe what I had to give up for God. And that's the way we work and we say we shouldn't do that. How do we not do that? Then we talked about our stuff. 
not storing up treasures on earth, but rather storing up treasures in heaven. You know, we accumulate these huge piles of stuff, thinking that this stuff is going to give us eternal happiness, and it's not going to do it. We need to move that stuff from here to heaven. How do we do that? By using it for kingdom causes. And we move that treasure into heaven. And then last week we talked about judging. How many of you judge somebody that's... Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Don't judge people. Now, we could have had multiple lessons on that passage last week because, as I said at the beginning of the lesson, it's probably the most quoted verse in the Bible today. And the people who quote it don't have a clue what it means. All they know is, no matter what I do, you can't say anything bad about it. But we talked about, we do need to help each other to grow. And in order to do that, we have to take the two-by-four out of our own eyes so we can help the other person with the speck in their eye. And then we're told, ah, but don't cast your pearls before the swine. Why? Because they'll just treat them with contempt. There does come a time when we are sharing the gospel with someone where we just back up and say all they're doing is falling deeper and deeper into sin and I'm not helping them. So how do we learn to not judge? How do we learn to seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness? How do we do all of these things? And every one of these lessons, if you're like me, you sit there and go, okay, that sounds good. How do you do it? And I've got a hint, because Jesus is sitting there over in the corner. You ever see a classroom of little kids, and there's one kid that knows all the answers? And he's sitting there going, me, me, I, 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 I know the answer. I know the answer to this one. And we come to Jesus, and Jesus says, I know the answer to this question. How do we do all of this? Verse 7 of chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. There it is. How do we learn to be poor in spirit? How do we learn to mourn over our sins? How do we learn to be salt and light? How do we learn all of this stuff? We ask God, and God will teach us. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Generally, this passage is sometimes pulled out of context and used to talk about prayer in general. And it is talking about prayer in general, okay? If you remember in chapter Uh, Six, we went through the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, where Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We learned how to pray over there. Over here, we're learning why we should pray. And why we should pray is because there are things that we need that only God can provide. Now, there are other passages over in John where it says, Ask anything you want in my name, and I will give it to you. Now, that's always caused a certain amount of trouble because you know that you've asked for things in prayer and you didn't get them. We're all aware of this, right? If you remember... Sometime a couple of years ago, I taught on that passage, and we talked about you should never wish for a pizza. You remember that illustration that I used? It was my great philosophical understanding as a teenager. You should never wish for a pizza. Why? Because if a pizza whooshed in front of you, then you'd be disappointed because all you wished for was a pizza. (laughs) And after that, somebody, some smart aleck in this class brought me a gift card to a pizza place and says, don't you wish you'd wish for a steak? (laughs) But you know that there have been times in your life 
where you prayed for a pizza and you didn't get it? And that's the comic answer. The not comic answer is you've prayed for somebody's health. You've prayed for a job situation, a family situation, a married marriage situation, and you didn't get it. But the verse says, pray and you'll get it. And we go, shoot, God messed up. Well, did God mess up? Let's talk about that in just a moment. James tells us we don't get what we ask for because we ask out of the wrong motives. Okay? You would never do that, right? I wish my enemy would fall off a cliff. Bad motive. We are to do good to those who do evil to us. But having my enemy drive off a cliff just sounds so much more fun, right? That's what we want. We ask and we don't get because we ask with the wrong motives. This passage, I think, though, is a little more specific. Jesus is telling them, if you want to live in the kingdom and you don't know how to live in the kingdom, ask me, seek after it, knock at the door, and I will show you how to do it. Which brings us to the obvious first question. Why don't we ask him? Why don't we ask him, Lord, help me seek first the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of heaven and your righteousness and put all this stuff beside, behind me? Why don't we ask? We don't want to. Remember our discussion in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let me let you in on a little secret. His kingdom's going to come. His will is going to be done. The question is, do we want it? Oh, yeah, I want the will of God to be done. Tomorrow. Maybe next week. You know, you've heard the old joke, right? And it is a joke, all the kids sitting around in the Sunday school class, and the teacher says, who wants to go to heaven? And all of them but one raise their hand. And the teacher goes, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven? And Johnny says, sure, I just thought you were getting a group to go today. (laughs) We want the kingdom, but we don't want it today. The reason we don't ask is because we don't really want it. This is one of the greatest promises in this entire sermon, if not the entire Bible. Ask, and I'll give it to you. What are we supposed to ask for? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me give you the easy answer There'll be a harder answer later. The easier answer to the question over in John, ask anything you want and it'll be given to you. There is one prayer that will always be answered. Always. And Jesus prayed it. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But thy will be done. What is the prayer that is always going to be answered? God, I am submitting to your will. That's the short answer. There's a longer answer in just a moment. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, and knock. We have a progression of intensity as we try to get the stuff that we need to have in order to live the kingdom life. We ask God for it. We sit at home and we pray, God, make me more Christ-like. And he'll answer that, if that's what we really want. But not only are we to ask for it, we are to seek after it. What does that mean? I can sit at home and say, Lord, show me your wisdom. 
Show me your wisdom, but I'm going to take this and I'm never, ever, ever going to look at it. Guess what? He's given you more wisdom than you can handle. You just don't bother to look at it. Seek involves an intensity, a desire to get something of value. Later on, we'll talk about the man who finds the pearl of great price and sells everything he has to seek after that thing of great value. Several years ago, Teresa came in and said, I've lost the diamond out of my engagement ring. I think it's in the car. It had fallen out of the setting. I removed every single piece of the interior of that car. I physically removed the seats, undoing the wiring harnesses, turning them over, shaking them, setting them out. Why? It was a thing of value, not just because it was a diamond, but because of the sentiment attached to it. And I sought it with intensity. I took every single thing out of that car, and I didn't find it. Got my car clean. The next morning, I'm walking outside, and there sitting right behind the back wheel of the car is the diamond. Now, I'm sure there's a spiritual point there somewhere. The point is, when we are seeking after something, our vision begins to focus on that thing. And even when it's sitting on the ground behind the wheel of the tire, we see it. Because I'm sitting there scanning everywhere for that diamond. Now, here's the question. What do we seek after? Continually, every day, we're seeking something. Francis Schaeffer used to say that Western civilization is seeking after two things, personal peace and affluence. Affluence means I've got enough stuff to enjoy myself, and personal peace means you're going to leave me alone so I can enjoy it. (laughs) It's all about me, and that's what we're seeking after. Question. Why do we not understand how to be light and salt in the world? Why do we not understand what it means to do our acts of righteousness in secret? Why do we not understand these things? Because we haven't asked and we don't seek. We don't. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We seek after lots of things. We're always seeking after something. It's just the wrong something. The greatest promise in the passage, maybe the greatest promise in the scripture, and we say, no, I'll go look for something else instead. I mean, you've seen it before, right? Your grandson finally gets to the point where they kind of begin to understand Christmas. And you give them a present, they open the box, and they play with the box. But there's something valuable inside that. Yeah, but there's a bright, shiny box. And guess what? God has given us the infinite riches of his grace, and we love the box. We seek after the wrong thing. Blessed are those hmm, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting implies a a certain amount of focus and hard desire for something. You know, I sit there and go, yes, I want to be righteous. I wonder what's on television. Chink, ka-chink, ka-chink. I wonder what's on the computer. Ka-chink, ka-chink, ka-chink. I wonder what, and we go, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. 
I added the door part because it's over there in Revelation somewhere. But it's backwards in Revelation. It really is. In Revelation, we're told that Jesus is the one doing the knocking. Now, here we are knocking. What are we knocking on? It takes a certain boldness to walk up to a door and knock on it and ask to see the owner of the house. We sit here and we ask God for things. We seek after them using the tools that God has given us. But do we enter the presence of God and knock on the door and say, please, God, listen to me? It takes a certain amount of boldness. I actually think of an obscure example, Esther. Esther is told by her uncle, is that what it was, Mordecai? Go in there and tell the king to save your people. But she wasn't allowed to go into the king. Nobody was allowed to go into the king unless they were invited to go see the king. And what was her comment? If I die, I die. She boldly knocks on the door and enters the presence of the king. Guess what? God has given us that ability. God, this is what I need. He's still the king. Let's not get our metaphor too mixed up, though, to think that somehow by allowing us to enter his presence, we are equal with God. Just the mere fact that he allows us to is what gives us the ability to receive what he has promised he will give us. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read any passage of the scripture if you want to. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Be holy. Abstain from evil. Read any of those passages and you go, how can I do that? I'm just a sinner. Maybe if I work harder at it. Sometimes we take the seeking and go, ah, see, that's me working. That's me working real hard. No, that's you doing what you're told to do. What has God promised? Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The first question that we started with, why don't we do that? Yes, go ahead. How long should you ask? I mean, always and forever, of course. But when you ask and ask, you never escape the same thing. I mean, I keep asking. I say it's fine. I keep asking. Ask every day. Ask and nothing can escape. Okay. Of course, we need faith that nothing will happen. But I don't want to. That's a great question. If you, and I, if you and I were talking by ourselves, I would ask you the next question. Don't answer the question here, okay? And that is, what are you asking for? What is it that you're trying to get? If God is not giving... Huh? Yeah, of some problem in your life. Huh? So the question, well, the answer is not, are you forgiven? The question is, do you feel the forgiveness that God has granted to you? And that's hard. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I feel that every day, so I can relate to that. Just don't tell them that, okay? (laughs) Let, Let me get to that in just a second. That's the good question. Ask, seek, knock. And God has said he'll give it to you. What if he doesn't? 
I would contend that he does, just not in the way you expected it. That's often the case. Not always. We're going to loop around here. That is often the case. Look at it this way. I really want to have things my way. You would too. You you would lie to me and tell me you didn't, but you really do. And we have defined what the answer to that prayer looks like. God, bless me. Well, the beginning of the sermon says what God's blessing looks like. And I'll give you a hint. It ends with persecution. So we ask God to bless us, and we receive persecution, and we think God's messed up. God hasn't messed up at all. He just has a totally different set of standards by which he judges blessedness. Now, we ask, we have an idea of what the answer should be in our head, and he doesn't give us that, therefore God has failed. So we need to continue to evaluate, am I asking the right question? Am I praying for the right thing? Number one. Number two, the answer may be not yet. The answer may be not yet. I ask for something and God knows that it would be horrible for me to have that right now. I've used the example in here before. You know, some days I'm driving to work and I see that big billboard that says the mega whatever lottery whatever is up to $300 million and I think, by golly, if I won that, I would not be going to work today. Wouldn't life be good? And God looks at me and says, if I gave you $300 million, you would stink. You're probably right, God. So he doesn't give it to us. He doesn't give it to us because he knows that it's wrong. Let's continue on, and we'll get back to this. No. I I was a math major, and I know that buying a lottery ticket does increase your chances of winning, but not by very much. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Okay. Micah, my grandson, five years from now says, Grand, what am I called? Pawpaw. I was rooting for his royal highness, but for some reason... <laughs> We thought that was too many syllables. <laughs> but 10 years from now, Papa says, I, w-, I mean, Micah says, Papa, I want a piece of bread. And I say, sure. And I hand him a rock. Now, I am clever and I'm sneaky. So there's this piece of bread, you know, this roll that kind of looks like this. And there's a rock that's about the same size. And in fact, at a distance, if you just kind of squint your eye, it looks the same. So I give him the rock. It's a joke, right? He picks it up and he bites into it and all his teeth fall out. Would I do that? Would any half-decent father do that? No. No. You wouldn't do that. Even a half-decent father wouldn't do that. Papa, I'd like some fish for dinner. Give me a fish stick. I say, I've got a fish stick for you. It's this long, and it's kind of slimy, and it wiggles. Here, have this. And I give him a snake. The incredibly deadly viper. Any of you all know who the incredibly deadly viper is? It's a long story. (laughs) It's in the book, Series of, of Unfortunate Events kids run into the incredibly deadly viper, which happens not to be poisonous, but they don't know that till the end of the book. Would you give the child a snake 
in place of a fish? You wouldn't do that. I mean, it's just absurd to think about it, that you would intentionally, with malice of forethought, give your child a stone in place of bread or a snake in place of fish. You wouldn't do that. Huh. If you then, this is you, this is me, if you then who are evil, okay, just so we know where we're standing, right? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? We've talked before in here about the fact that um, when I'm talking to new parents, particularly new fathers, we have to emphasize the fact that that child is going to grow up with an image of God that is going to look somewhat like his image of his father. That's why when you have a child raised in a home without a father, they have great difficulty understanding what our father, who art in heaven, even means. I told you there's a very well-known Christian author who was raised without a father. And by his own admission, he had no clue what a father was. He entitled one of his books something like Owning a Dragon. Because to him, having a pet dragon had as much validity as having a father. They were both mythical creatures. It is important that we understand that relationship. But what we really need to understand is if your father was a louse, it's not because he's the standard of fatherhood, but rather God is the standard of fatherhood and your father just didn't make it. He didn't measure up because of the sin in his life. If you, who are evil, still try to do good things for your children, how much more will your heavenly father, who is the father, not just a representative of your father elevated to some higher level, but rather the father, how much more will the father give you good things? Now here's the question. There's lots of questions, aren't there? What if you asked your father for a rock instead of bread? If you ask, if one of my kids asked me for a rock, I'd probably give them a rock. Okay, why not? If they asked for a rock as a form of nourishment, I would not give it to them because I know it wouldn't work. It is not for their good to have a rock for breakfast. Rocks have their purposes. Nutrition's just not one of them. What if they asked me for a snake for dinner or just to play with? People have pet snakes. I've got problems with that, but to each his own. It is interesting, one of the commentaries, I'd never read, heard this before, suggested that the father giving the child the snake was giving the child something to eat. You do know you can eat snakes, right? You cook them correctly and all that stuff. So maybe he was giving them an alternate food source. But if you're a Jew in a Jewish audience being spoken to by a Jew, if the Jewish father gave the Jewish son a snake... It's unclean. He cannot eat it. You are leading that child astray. I'm not sure I agree with that. I'll stick with the incredibly deadly viper story. 
But it's an interesting thought. What if we ask God for a rock for food and a snake to play with in our bed and God knows that's not right? What is God going to do? The answer is no. Why? Because God is a loving father. There will be times in Micah's life where he will ask for things that aren't in his best interest to have. I'm six years old. I want to drive the car around the block. My son, when he was four, was he four? Backed the car out of the driveway. It was not a pleasant event. Fortunately, there was a tree at the end of the driveway. He asked to drive the car around the block, and we say, no, sorry, not going to happen. We'll say it in the most loving fashion possible, and we'll say no. So we ask God for something, and, God's, and we have a vision of how he's going, he should answer it. And he answers it, but he doesn't answer that way, and we go, ah, God's messed up, instead of realizing maybe God is smarter than we think he is. And by the way, he is. We ask for something that we shouldn't have. And our loving father looks at us and says, that would really mess you up. No, you can't have that. We ask for something and God says, that's a good thing. But let's wait to see how things work out. Let's wait. I'm going to give that to you, but we're going to wait. That's what parents do. You know that. If you, being a parent, you who are evil, should we talk about that for a moment? No. One of the flaws of our modern society is we think everybody's good, except those people over there, and they turned out bad. I told you I was reading a book Two weeks ago, I did not finish it. Modern, best-selling author about being judgmental and how horrible it is. And she just begins the book by saying, we're all good. Every one of us is good. And we're led astray to do bad things. In the scripture, we are taught that all of us seek after bad stuff most of the time. Apart from God and his restraining grace, apart from his salvation and the Holy Spirit working in us, we are going to seek after things that aren't good. We're just not. We're going to do wickedness because that is in our nature to do it. But if you, you go find some good old-fashioned pagan unbeliever, no interest in Christian things, no interest in religious thing. I had, you know, a friend who was the most devout atheist I've ever personally met in my life. It's not that he hated God, it's just he didn't, it never occurred to him that there was a God or that it meant anything. But you know what? He tried to give his kids good stuff. Why? Because he loved his kids. Why? Because God has put that into the human heart to protect our kids. If you, being evil, try to do good things for your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give what is good to you? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Question. Why aren't we asking? That's what I ask myself all week long. All week long. You know, I go back here to just random passages in the, in the Sermon on the Mount and go, I have problem with that. I'm not going to tell you which ones. I have problem with that. Blessed are the meek? Yeah. Doesn't sound like it's very elevating. What? What? Why don't I ask? 
that God would help me. A, I don't really want it. B, I'm worried he might give it to me. Really? I mean, that's, we can chuckle about it, but really. God, help me to demonstrate meekness. And then somebody walks all over me and I go, God, that didn't work very well. I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to punch them in the nose the next time they try that in brotherly love. We don't ask because we don't really want it. We don't ask because we don't really believe he'd give it to us. We don't ask because we believe he might give it to us. And we might not like the answers. What is the all-encompassing problem with all of these things? We don't have faith. We don't have the faith that he will answer. We don't have the faith that if he does answer, it will be for our own good. We don't have the faith that says it's better to do things God's way. I've said in here repeatedly, we live this life of here's the life of the world, here's the life that we understand God wants us to live, and we're trying to find the intersection between those two circles. That's what we do. And guess what? It may not exist. And even if it did exist, that's probably not what we're, not, not what we're supposed to be seeking after. We're supposed to be seeking after what God wants and forget the other circle. You got a question? I did. Go ahead. Um, so I guess a part of the not having faith part uh-huh. is probably why we don't receive the things that we're supposed to really believe in. Mm-hmm. Back in James, it says we're asking for mixed motives. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Back to, go ahead. What if the only thing we always ask for is is to just have that faith and then build it and get stronger? Do you, I guess in my instance, Mm -hmm. there's one person in the family that's trying to keep it. Mm -hmm. So I could get it passed every time and never get it granted. Yeah. How old are you? 24. Jerry, how old are you? You have to answer the question, yes. 76. Let me, let me encourage you to patience, okay? Jerry, you have all your act together? Do you have all your act together? <laughs> He's just laughing at me. It is a lifetime thing. What I would encourage you to do is to keep praying and don't get discouraged. Find the things that God has asked you to do and do them. Whatever it is. I mean, how much of age? I guess the point I'm just making is I don't know, getting older versus being younger. I got an idea, but maybe I haven't used it yet. Ask us your questions. We'll answer to every one of them. <laughs> we will. I mean, honest. I'm not like. No, no, I understand. Yeah. That. It's just, it's, for me, it's, it's to God, really. Those are the questions. And uh-huh. No, I'm never going to have my hands raised verbally. It's just so hard for me to answer them all. You'll, you'll get more answers than you think in that book you're holding in your hand. Okay? To me, that is the biggest part of the seeking. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Where do we seek? Well, I know what our natural tendency is, right? We go ask our friends. And if our friends are godly, that's a good thing. I'm not disputing that. But we don't sit there and open the Bible and say, seek. And how long does that take? An hour? No. A year? Maybe. 
A hundred years? Maybe. It takes time. It takes reading the scripture that God has given us collectively, not just you, us collectively, to give us guidance on how to live our life. And it will take time. Okay? I do want the answer tomorrow. God's probably not going to give it to me tomorrow. Okay? Go ahead. Talk to him. Y'all may not have heard that. What she was saying is we need to learn to accept the fact God has forgiven us and to forgive ourselves and put that in our past. I mean, I will guarantee you, I do not know this, but I would guarantee you, if I, in deep, dark secret, passed around a piece of paper and got every one of you to write down your worst sins anonymously and we compiled them all together we collectively are a wretched group of people. <laughs> we are. To me, it's fascinating the things that have happened in different people's lives, and we don't know that. We don't know where all of us have come from. All we know is that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for those sins. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. And you're bad. <sighs> to me, as I reread this passage and reread it and reread it, it is one of the most phenomenal passages in the scripture. Because I keep having to think that I have to, on my own, strive and groan and struggle to do what God wants me to do. And Jesus is sitting over there in the corner going, I know the answer to this question. Ask me. Just ask me. Seek through what I've given you. Seek in the scripture. Seek by talking with godly, <clears throat> godly friends. Seek after my righteousness and my kingdom and all this other stuff that you're worrying about, Kyle, will just not be that big a deal. Do I do that? Eh, sometimes. What keeps me from doing it? A lack of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. I think that's the King James Version. We, me, on my best day, on my best parenting day, am a poor father compared to God, who is our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father is just waiting to give us that for which we ask, for which we seek, and for which we knock. God's not holding us back. God's not standing in our way. God is saying, come on, I know the answer to this question, and I'm going to give it to you. Now, when he gives it to us, 
it may not look what, like what we're expecting. Why? Well, you're a three-year-old child and you ask your parents for food. And you have your hopes set on McDonald's french fries and, um, I don't know, candy. And they give you a vegetable. Not broccoli. We're not going that far. <laughs> there are limits. I do too. Because the parent knows what's best. Sometimes we have this mistaken belief. Most of us. Mike has left the room, so we're okay. Most of us are old enough to have some idea of what life is about and how things happen. And we think we're pretty good. So we're here and God's here and we're kind of co-equals and we do our... No. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, if you're Micah's age. The gap between you and God is still the same. And God who knows what you need, will reward you. Back to chapter 6. What's the answer? Ask, seek, and knock. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises that you've given us. Give us the faith to ask. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.